But I'm going to give you kind of a, a longer introduction because I want to introduce the, both the series uh, and the message. But over the past few weeks, we've discussed several of the miracles of Jesus. I mean, a lot of different ones. And when discussing those, one thing becomes very obvious. There was a lot of work to do. Jesus was a busy man, right? Now, the world was then and is now full of broken people searching for answers. Would you agree? How many broken people do we have here today? Be honest. There we go. There's always that one guy that goes, nope, I am perfectly healed. I'm good. No, but the, it's just like it was then. The world was full of broken people looking for answers. And Jesus was then and is now the answer that they're looking for. Now, it's no coincidence that Jesus switches gears from the healer to the recruiter. And that's what we're going to see him as today. He switches gears because after five miracles in a row... It was obvious that there was, there was laborers needed. There were people needed to help. There's a lot of work to be done. Now, you've probably heard the old saying, and maybe you haven't, but you've probably heard the old saying, many hands make light work. Anybody ever hear that? Okay. Well, all these broken people coming to Jesus proved there was a great need for many hands. There was a great need for that. So today we're going to see how Jesus revealed the need for more kingdom laborers or laborers who are trying to help him build, uh, uh, you know, enlarge the borders of the kingdom and make people aware of the kingdom. So the starting point for ministry is first recognizing the need for ministry. You know what I mean? You have to understand there's a need before you can actually start to get involved with something. But here's the problem is it's, it's more than just recognizing the need for ministry. That's not enough. We have to be willing to step up and fill that need, okay? We're going to talk about that today. I want to use an illustration, kind of. Have you guys ever seen someone holding that will work for food sign at the stores? Anybody ever see that? You know? And please don't get mad at me. There again, if you do, Nate Mosley at GCCKenneville.com. But please don't get mad at me for this. But, you know, it's kind of ironic because most of the intersections that they stand at are full of shops with signs in the window that say, now hiring. Anybody else notice that? I mean, now hiring, hanging everywhere, and they're saying, we'll work for food. I'm like, well, that's a great thing because there's a bunch of people hiring right behind you. But I know you're saying, oh, you're so, you know, hard. No, not really. I just think they should get a job. But anyway, I understand there's some people that need help. There again, Nate Mosley at gcckindleville.com. But anyway, there's just all these now hiring signs everywhere. So, a lot of them could work if they wanted to. Wouldn't you agree? A lot of them could work if they wanted to. But a lot of them just prefer to get that handout, right? They'd rather have someone else do the work and then give it to them. And my purpose in saying this is, sadly, there are a lot of Christians today with that same mindset, the exact same mindset. See, they're content to let others serve, to let others give, to let others sacrifice for God, and they're just hoping that they can reap the benefits of the generosity and service of others, right? And, and when you say, why don't you get involved? Why don't you, you know, find your place to serve? They always have all kinds of excuses as to why they don't get involved or they, or they don't want to serve, right? They're either too inexperienced, right? I hear that all the time. Well, you know, I, I don't know a whole lot, and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of new to the whole Christianity, and there's not a whole lot that I can do, and, and yeah, I hear it all the time, you know. Or they say, well, I'm just so busy right now. You ever, I mean, you ever, maybe you've used that excuse. I have. 
right? Say, I'm just so busy right now. Do you realize what you're really saying? I'm just too busy right now to serve the one that gave me eternal life. Think about that. I'm just, I'm too busy right now. Or they say, well, I don't want to step on anybody's toes. And, you know, or, you know, I don't want to do something, start something and fail. I mean, they're just excuses. And here's the thing is God will not accept any of those excuses. Because here's what it comes down to. God always has the now hiring sign out. Always. The question is, will you apply? Will you apply for the job? Now, when I say this, I know it may seem like, Gosh, you're making it sound like God pays us to be faithful. That's not very spiritual. I've had people tell me that before. Well, the truth is that's exactly what he does. That's exactly what he does. See, if you look at Colossians 3.23, it says, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. Remember that the Lord will give you inheritance as your what? Reward. And that the master you are serving is Christ. See, I don't want you to get confused. Eternal life is totally free. Okay, eternal life does not require any work at all. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because what? Not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us the gra- uh, his grace through Christ Jesus. So listen, eternal life is completely free of charge. Okay, that is completely free, does not require work. But if you want God to bless your life, if you want to feel his presence in your life, that is going to require some work. Because listen, blessings are the wages of the faithful servant of God. Okay, that's how it works. And today Jesus is going to remind the disciples uh, that God is now hiring and offering positions that can offer those blessings. Okay, so let's jump right in. That wasn't too long of an intro, was it? What else are you going to say? You know what I mean? Okay, let's take a look at this. uh, Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35. It says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news. What's another word for good news? The gospel. Good. Just seeing if you're paying attention. And And announcing the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. Okay, so Jesus was teaching and preaching in the synagogues everywhere he went. And I think this is awesome because no matter how big or small the town was, Jesus considered them valuable enough to put his time and effort into, to minister to them. He saw them all as valuable, right? And at every stop, everywhere he went, he focused on three things. Okay, first, teaching. And teaching means offering detailed explanations of a scripture or passages. So he was trying to make them understand the word of God everywhere he went. And he was preaching. You ever wondered the difference between teaching and preaching? How many people ever wondered that? What's the difference? I hate it when people go, well, he's a teacher, not a preacher. <laughs> I just want to say, he better be both. You know what I mean? All right, because he was also preaching, and preaching means announcing or proclaiming good news about the kingdom. That's what it is. You're just announcing or proclaiming the good news. And then the third thing he did was he was healing people. He was curing people of their physical ailments. And he did this to, to, you know, just to prove his complete authority over all things. So all that makes sense. But why did he go to the synagogues? Did you ever wonder that? Why did he go to every town and go to the synagogues? Because this is where the Jewish leaders were. And the Jewish leaders hated him. Why would he go to the place where he knew everyone hated him it would be like 
a New England Patriot fan showing up to a Colts party. How many people would welcome them? You know what I mean? Don't act all Christian. You would not. Right? I mean, he was showing up at the very place where the people were that, that wanted him dead. These people hated him. So why did he do that? He did that because that was his God-appointed starting point, which is the series we're in. That was his God-appointed starting point. See, God made promises to Abraham and the patriarchs. He made promises, and he said, Listen, through your descendants, you're going to have a messianic king, and he's going to offer the messianic kingdom, this, this kingdom, to the Jews. So Jesus had to offer the kingdom to the Jews first, despite the fact that they would reject him. And he knew that. But he did that because he had to keep every promise and fulfill every promise that God made. Now, don't get confused. I I know a lot of you have probably thought about this. Did it ever feel like when you read some of these passages, and we'll look at this more next week, that it almost seems like God didn't want non-Jews to go to heaven? Anybody ever wonder that? Because it it, it almost makes it sound like that because he went to the Jews first. That's not it at all. Since chapter 1 of the book of Matthew, have you ever seen him turn anyone away that came to him? Never. Never. It has always been his plan to include the non-Jews. Always been his plan. But he had to do it in the order that God set up with the patriarchs. I mean, he had to do it in that order. All right, so let's take a look at this. Matthew nine thirty-six. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. I want you to underscore compassion in your Bibles if you're following. He had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Okay, I think it's interesting how Jesus reacted to these crowds. Okay, now we have seen Jesus power over death and his power over disease and disaster and demons and darkness. You like all those D's? Right? We've seen all that. Those things concerned him, but what really broke his heart wasn't the physical issues he was dealing with and healing in people. It was their spiritual issues that literally moved Jesus. Verse 36 says that he had compassion on the crowds. Now what that word means in the Greek is deep inward concern and care enough to move you. Have you ever seen someone that, that, that you're just moved when you see them? Like you see a child that's in and out of foster care and, and, and they're, they're struggling and they're, you know, they're, they're fighting all the demons that come along with being moved around. They feel like they're not loved, they're not wanted. And you hear their story and you have compassion. You feel moved for them. It, it moves you because you care so much. Or you see someone struggling with a terminal illness and, and you have compassion on them, meaning you, know, you care so much it actually moves you. You can feel compassion for them, Right? It was moving Jesus. It moved him because, see, he, just, he didn't just come to announce, hey, there's a, there's a coming messianic kingdom and I'm the guy. He also came because he wanted to make sure everyone got a chance to go. It hurt him when people rejected their opportunity to go. Right? So he was literally saddened by their lack of spiritual direction and understanding. He was saddened by that. This was God's people. God's chosen people. And they were complete, completely lost. I mean, the Jews had become so self-righteous, so distracted, so religious, that they actually lost their way. They were too focused on, on their traditions and on their pageantry and on their legalism 
on looking good to other people and impressing other people. They were so focused on those things that they had lost their focus on the value of that personal relationship with God. Yeah, I mean, and their, their leaders were terrible, but it wasn't just their leaders' fault because the nation as a whole had lost its focus, the whole nation. See, if they had stayed focused, if they had focused on having their relationship with God, if they had stayed focused on serving God, they would have recognized who Jesus was and they would have accepted him. Think about this. The single biggest event in the life of a Jew was to see the coming Messiah come and offer the kingdom. That was the single biggest event event they look forward to but they were so distracted that they didn't even recognize their messiah they were just wandering around lost and jesus said they were like sheep without a shepherd okay now i think i've told you this before but sheep are dumb animals they are dumb now what does that make you feel inside when we're called sheep in the bible (laughs) you know what i mean but sheep are dumb dumb animals they need to be constantly cared for and tended to. I mean, they have to because if the shepherd neglects them at all, they'll wander off and get lost and wander right into a pack of wolves or literally, they'll walk off a cliff. That's dumb. And you know what's even more dumb? Is that there's like four or five sheep behind them, they'll follow them off the cliff. You know when your mom used to say, if somebody else jumped off a roof, would you? Sheep would go, uh, yeah, I guess. You know what I mean? I mean, they were dumb animals that needed someone to lead them at all times. They were just just dumb. If you didn't lead them, they'd get lost and even die. See, the Jewish leaders were shepherds that weren't caring for their flock. They weren't paying attention to their people. They weren't shepherding or leading their people like they should. Instead, they were lording over them. They were judging them. They were imposing stupid rules on them and then seeing how well they kept them. I mean, they had forgotten that they were supposed to be shepherding those people and preparing them for the arrival of their Messiah. But not all the blame falls on the leaders. Because if people would have stayed focused with their personal relationships, they would have known that they were being led astray, and they would have continued to focus anyway. So, you know, both ends, there's blame there, both ways. So Jesus finds this nation, the nation of Israel, he finds this town in complete spiritual disarray. I mean, they were in complete spiritual disarray, and it was so disturbing to him that it hurt him or moved him. I'll tell you what, it, it hurts me sometimes when I see how far we're moving from God. Does it bother anybody else? I mean, have you noticed that, that even sitcoms and TV shows are always pushing an anti-Christian agenda all the time? I mean... A nation that was founded on having freedom to worship God has now made God a byword. They're now ignoring the power of his presence. And people are just confused and and they're trying to find answers. But the whole world's pushing them away from Jesus. And it, it moves me. It bothers me. I struggle to watch TV. I struggle to watch the news. Because people are getting so far from God. So unfortunately, a lot hasn't really changed in the modern church era. I hate to say that, but a lot hasn't really changed. Because sometimes we lose our way and become like sheep without a shepherd too. We do. Sometimes we do that. 
I mean, we start to get focused on denomination. Gosh, that bugs me. When people are more proud of being a Baptist or a Catholic than they are of being a follower of Christ. Man, that bothers me. People always ask me, what denomination is your church? I go, Christian? They're like, that can't be. I'm like, yeah, seriously, we just kind of follow Christ. I don't know what to tell you. You know? So who are you affiliated with? Uh, Jesus? Oh, okay. Well, what's your association? Uh, Jesus? I mean, yeah, I don't know what to tell them. But we get so sidetracked with stupid things like denomination and bylaws. Bylaws. We're just like the Jews. We come up with new laws like the 66 books we have don't have enough that we can follow. We're so worried about bylaws. I went to a church one time that one of the bylaws was you couldn't wear shorts. And I'm like, if you've ever seen me in shorts, there's no pride involved there. No one's lusting. Trust me, they're blinded. Right? I mean, that was literally one of the rules. You can't wear a hat in church. I'm like, why? You know what I mean? I mean, we get so sidetracked with stuff like that, bylaws, or just religious familiarity, where we just get to the point where all we focus on is just being comfortable on Sunday. That's what's important, being comfortable on Sunday. And the blame is equal. Some of them are in that condition because they have bad leaders, and some of them are in that condition because they refuse to be led. Right? But we're almost exactly, as a matter of fact, we're exactly like they were. Okay? Because we've become more focused on having our normal Sunday than actually worshiping. That bothers me. Oh, you go to church at 9 or 11, we sing a few songs, Chris gets up and babbles for a while, and then we get to go home and watch football. You know what I mean? We're just, we're just fulfilling an obligation. It, I mean, it really bothers me. We've forgotten the importance of having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're a believer, yes, you're going to heaven, but that's just one of the things you get as a bonus when you believe. Another thing is that you can have a personal relationship with Jesus. When I say a personal relationship, think about your best friend. When you're hurting, you tell them things, right? When you need advice, you go to them, right? They mourn with you. They rejoice with you. You depend on them. They've got your back, and you've got theirs. Listen, when you have a personal relationship with Jesus, that's exactly what you have with him. When you learn who he is and who he's supposed to be in your life, when you're hurting, guess who the first person is you'll talk to? Jesus. When someone is threatening you or a situation is, is, is threatening you, you know he has your back. You know that when you're hurting, he'll help you and he'll mourn with you. And when things are going well, he'll rejoice with you. It's almost like we've forgotten the importance of having a personal relationship with God. And I'm going to say something that might make some of you guys mad. But it's almost like, it's almost like we've started trying to figure out ways to get away with things as believers. Rather than trying to find ways to get closer to God. Has anybody ever noticed that? Okay, I wouldn't raise my hands either. Listen, I'm just saying... You can tell we've lost our focus because it's like, I don't know, it's like we try to find ways to, to see what we can get away with as a believer. That, that really, really bothers me. Sometimes I think we forget that, that God is always watching and always listening. I don't think you ever get away with anything. You know what I mean? Ever. Well, Pastor Chris don't know, so I'm good with God. <laughs> Wrong. Pastor Chris has the kind of memory he'd forget if he did know in two minutes. Listen. It's not about that. I just feel like we're, we're looking for ways to get away with things. It drives me crazy. I think we're more, more focused on looking for liberties 
than loving God. You know what I mean? Looking for things that we're allowed to do rather than just loving God and letting him lead us. Right? It drives me crazy because I know people that they, they do and say things when church people can't see them. Right? They, they, they do things they know they shouldn't do. They say things they shouldn't say when they think the church people won't see them. Right? Because if the church people saw them, they would see that they've lost their zeal and they've lost their spiritual integrity. You know, I've had people tell me, yeah, you know, I'm going to do this when I, when I go to Vegas on vacation or when I go to Florida on vacation. I mean, nobody knows me there except Jesus. You know what I mean? Listen, what happens anywhere on this world doesn't stay on this world because God knows. Right? I mean, this kind of drives me crazy because I really feel like we are like lost sheep. We spend more time trying to justify our lives than sanctify our lives. You know what that means? That means we're trying to justify why we're doing things we know we shouldn't be doing. We spend more time doing that than we do actually sanctifying or setting ourselves apart so that the world sees us as different. I'm just afraid that the world doesn't see believers as much different anymore. And you know what? I'm pointing the finger back at me too. Listen, this hurt preparing me. But the truth is, Sometimes, I think if Jesus were to land on our shores, physically, and see the disarray the modern church has turned into, I think he would have what? Compassion. He would be moved by how far we've fallen from our intention. He would be moved by that. And it saddens me, when I was reading this, when I was preparing for this, it really bothered me, because I started, I mean, this is the direction God led me, and I'm thinking, man, it's true. We justify things. You know, oh, I I won't do that around everybody, just around people I know who agree with me. The church people will never find out. That's hypocritical. And that's what Jesus saw in these people. He saw this in these people, and he had compassion on them. Let's move on, Matthew 9, 37. He said to the disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Now, the significance of this verse is often overlooked because I think we're used to it. You ever hear those passages you've heard since you were a kid, and so they just don't really impact you like they should? We're just, you know, we read that and we're like, oh, okay. That's just a, you know, it's just a statement of fact. There's a lot to do and not enough people to do it. No, it was more than that. This was his call to action. This was basically him telling the disciples, here's your starting point. Look at the need and the lack of people who are willing to step in and do something. Look at that. He was basically saying, listen, it's not just about following me. It's also about leading other people to me. See, the disciples have been learning from Jesus and following Jesus for a long time. Now it was time that they become more than followers. What's a follower? A disciple, right? He's saying, listen, we need to add something to your job description. You're not just disciples anymore. You're not just followers. It's time you become evangelists. Everybody know what an evangelist is? That word gets thrown out there. It's almost like when you hear that word, you think bad things because there have been so many bad televangelists, right? Anybody else hear evangelists and go, ooh? It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. We should all be evangelists. It means one who seeks to convert others to the Christian faith. See, it's not a bad thing. 
So he was saying, listen, it's time to be more than disciples. Look at the need. We need workers. It's time to stop just following me around, and it's time to start actually taking what you've learned out to people so that they might come into a relationship with me. Right? And that's not only the disciples' job. That's every believer's job. Every believer's job. Okay? Because, listen, as soon as a person comes to faith, your job training begins. You have, an, you have answered the call of Christ. Now it's time to look at the now hiring sign in the window and go in and apply. Because God has something for you. You were created on purpose for a purpose. Right? I mean, job training begins the moment you believe. Now here's a three-step outline to living a successful Christian life. Okay? And if I make you mad, I'm sorry. I've already given you the email. A new believer, first thing you should do, the first thing you should do is start studying the Word of God. First thing you should do. Second Timothy 3, starting in verse 16, says, All Scripture is inspired and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our life. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to what? Prepare and, and equip His people to do every good work. When it says all Scripture is inspired by God, I don't think you understand how powerful that is. In the Greek, it's passe grafe theopneustos. It means uh, all writings are breathed from God. That's what it means. All writings are breathed from God. You want to talk to God? His word is what will make you effective. His word is how he speaks to us. Right? The next thing a new believer should do is get baptized. Right? I, listen, baptism doesn't save you. We've covered that. Right, But it's very important. Romans 6, 4 says, For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Listen, what baptism is, is you are telling the world that something's happened in here. The sooner you get identified with Christ, the better. The sooner you step out and confess Christ to men, the better. And the best way to do that, baptism, immediately, baptism. All right, and then once you've done those things, here's what you need to do. You need to get busy. See the now hiring sign. Go in and apply and find something to do. 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Listen, we need to make people understand that the moment we believe, there's work to be done, that the harvest is plentiful. But the laborers are what? Few. We need to make them understand, now that you're part of the family, you're part of the family business. Right? Now that you're part of the family, you've got chores to do. Right? And here's your chores. Your chores are to help us harvest the crop that needs harvest out there. Otherwise, listen, you're now part of the family. It's time to start reaching people for Jesus. It's time to get busy. Stop making excuses. I love this. He says the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. And I love what he, he moves right into 938. It says, so pray that the Lord who is in charge of the harvest, or pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest, ask him to send what? More workers into the field. I don't know if you've ever prayed this or not, but if you're one of the 10% of people in most churches that does everything, you've prayed this. Did you know that's a legitimate fact? That in most churches, 10% of the people do 100% of the work. Isn't that sad? You know, if you're a believer and you're going to heaven, you should be in that percentage, right? But 
You should always be praying that people come to faith in Christ. That's, that's a given, right? But our prayers shouldn't be limited to that. We should also be praying that they become powerful servants. We should be praying for believers that they get involved, right? Because there's still a lot of work to be done, and we can't do it all. You know what's funny is when these new churches come to town, a lot, this is no joke, a lot of the pastors receive letters from other churches saying we don't need another church in Kenderville. I'm serious. I wish I was kidding. We don't need another church in Kenneville. We got plenty of churches in Kenneville. Right? And it becomes this competition between churches. <laughs> I don't get that. Did you know there's over 7,000 people in our town who do not go to church? I would love to tell you I'm going to reach every one of them. And I'm going to give it one heck of a try. But the truth is, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. When a new church comes to town, you know what I do? Thank you, God, for answering my prayer and sending more workers into the harvest. We try to help those churches when they come to town, give them materials, give them support, lend them people to help them. You know why? Because we're all on the same team, and we all should be recognizing that there is a lot of work to be done, and Grace Christian can't do it all, but Christians can if we band together. So that should be an answered prayer. Thank you, Lord. There's a new church in town. Bless them. Bless their socks off. Bless them so much that they have to go home and sleep for 24 hours because they've been worn out by your blessing. That's what we should be praying. Because the harvest is plenteous and the labors are few. So we should be praying that God sends more people to serve. Inspires them through us to serve. Because again, many hands make light work. Right? When, when, when more believers become servants, more people get reached. And do you ever think about this? It might be that new church that comes to town, the new laborers in the harvest, that reaches the people you couldn't. Maybe your family, maybe your friends. Do you ever think about that? Because I don't really care if they come here as long as they come to Jesus. You know what I mean? So we should be praying that he's sending laborers into the harvest. That's what we should be praying. Now listen, before we close, I want to challenge you with something. I want to talk to you about something. Everybody here knows, if you look deep in your heart, that you've seen that help wanted sign. That now hiring sign that God's put out before you. We've all seen it. We all, have you ever recognized things you wish the church could do? And, and the go-to thing to do when that happens, the go-to thing to do is to complain because it's not there. Uh, believe me, as a pastor, trust me. People say, well, why don't we do this? And I'm like, that's a great idea. Why don't you start that? I don't want to do it. I'm like, well, you're the one that noticed the need. We've all seen the help wanted sign, haven't we? We've all seen areas that could make the church stronger, that could make the church better, that could reach out to people. And when I say church, the big C church, the body of Christ. All right, we've all seen that. Here's my challenge to you. Go in and apply. Go, don't just say, yep, there sure is a lot of work to be done. Say, I'm here to help it get done. Stop being a spectator and start being an active participant. Because I tell you what, you might have the idea, you might see the need that could transform our community. It's not enough just to recognize the need. 
you have to be willing to step up. And this is what Jesus was telling the disciples. Look, you see the need. Pray that he sends more workers. And by the way, time to get to work. That's what he was saying. And I'm going to pick up from there next week. I'll go ahead and close. We'll pick up there next week as we move into him sending the disciples out into the harvest. If you just bow your heads. If this is your first time here, we always like to give a, a, a brief invitation, and here's why. We truly believe that if people can just clear their head of all the silly religion and tradition and just look to the love that put Jesus on that cross, they'll realize that the simplest thing they can ever do is accept the gift of eternal life. God didn't want that to be hard. It was hard for Jesus. He wanted it to be free for us. And if you're not sure where you stand with Christ, I always want to give the opportunity for for myself and others to pray for you because we believe that you could be the one that could transform the lives of so many people around you when they see the change that's happened when you believe. We want you to be that person. We want you to be the worker that God brings into the harvest. And if you'd like me to pray for you, if you're not sure where you stand, just make eye contact with me and put your head right back down. Bless those people. Bless those people. Bless those people. And if you're if you're listening online or watching online, God knows your heart. I'm going to pray for you. And believers, I want to pray for us because I don't want to just be religious people. I don't just want to be people that just go to church, serve their time, and go home. I want to be world changers. I want to be the laborer that God has called into the harvest that makes a difference. And I want you to be that too. I'm going to pray that God renews our zeal, our passion for drawing people to him. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do. I just thank you for the love, the mercy, the compassion you have on all of us. I am so thankful that your love is stronger than my sin. I'm thankful that your love and your grace is more powerful than all my shortcomings. And I'm mostly thankful that you've made eternal life free so that anyone who could believe that what Jesus did was enough to guarantee their eternal life could have it. Thank you for making it easy. God, if there are people who are unsure about where they stand with you, I just pray that whatever it is that's holding them back, you just remove it. Let them see past all the religion, all the tradition, all the hurt feelings, whatever it is that's holding them back, and just see the love that took you to the cross. And let them believe. And if they make that decision today, I pray they contact us through one of the many avenues we have, the cards, the email, so that we can embrace them and walk with them in their journey. If they're watching or listening and they're a long way from here, I pray that they find a good Christian person or church that they can affiliate themselves with so that they can have a family to walk with them through their journey. God, we know the harvest is so plenteous. We just want more laborers, and it begins with them trusting you. Send us more laborers. Lord, for those of us who know you, I just pray, God, that we don't fall into disarray, that we don't become those sheep without a shepherd. Let us, let us stay focused. Let us make you our shepherd because that's what you are. Let us know you through your word and through prayer. Trust you to be the God you are and trust you to make us into the people that can change our families and our communities and our world. Just bless us to renew our zeal and be more passionate about our faith. We just pray that you go with us as we leave here Keep us safe, and if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, we just pray that we would come together and give you all the praise, honor, and glory that you're so worthy of. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.